The structure of the mind is the foundation of the personality, according to Freud, that is. You're listening to Psychologically Speaking, a podcast for anyone interested in understanding how psychology applies to everyday life. Welcome. I'm your host, Dawn Brinkley, and whether you're a student, an educator, or a lifelong learner, I think you'll find this podcast to be educational as well as entertaining. I'm so excited you're hanging out with me today. Hello, hello, hello everyone. I hope the sound of my voice finds you in good spirits. I myself, I'm coming off of a long weekend retreat and it was very relaxing and I got to get a lot of rest. I also got to spend a lot of time alone with my thoughts. I was able to sort some things out and I am really hopeful about what's to come, some exciting things I'm expecting in this season of my life. In the last episode, I talked to you about trait theories of personality development, primarily the big five personality factors. Do you remember what they are and the mnemonic you can use to remember them? I will remind you of the mnemonic and maybe you can remember them. You can either swim in the ocean or row your boat Sorry, or row your canoe. (laughs) So that might help you to remember the big five from ocean or canoe. Today, I'm finally going to discuss Freud's theory of personality development. And in the next episode, I'll talk about chakra imbalances or chakra imbalances, however you choose to pronounce that, and blockages and how Those imbalances are very similar to what Freud describes as a fixation in his psychoanalytic theory of development. Be sure to tune in for that. But first, as a psychologist and psychology enthusiast, it's my job to dispel some of the myths people often have about psychology. As a true psychology nerd, I'm defending my favorite subject matter against all false claims. Today's psychology myth or science topic. Most psychologists today agree with Freud's personality theory and his methods and findings have been shown to be robust throughout time. What do you think? If you're familiar at all with Freud's psychoanalytic theory and his treatment methods, even if you're not, Hopefully, you'll stick around to hear what I have to say. For that, you'll also have to stick around to find out whether that is a psychology myth or if there is empirical evidence to back up that statement. So stick around and find out whether (laughs) that is valid or not. (laughs) Now, let's dive into this week's episode. There is a very interesting prologue in the personality chapter of one of my psychology textbooks. I won't read the entire thing to you, but I will have it up on my blog shortly. So be sure to visit if you want to read it because it is a very interesting prologue about a a story about a um, one of the authors of the text and his dad. 
The prologue is titled The Secret Twin. The father of one of the authors of the textbook, he was a twin. They thought they were, the parents thought that the twins were identical at first, but then they noticed slight differences in, I believe it was like the color of their hair and the color of their eyes. Kenneth was the father of the author, one of the authors of the text, and he, he kept his twin Julian a secret from his family for more than 50 years. Long story short, Kenneth was always more serious than Julian, who was usually playful and impulsive. When the boys wrote letters home to their parents from summer camp, Kenneth's letters were typically affectionate, informative, and reassuring. He would always let his mother know that he would look after his brother. He wanted to be the responsible one. On the other hand, Julian's letters were full of misspellings and he, he had to promise his mother over and over again that he would not go out on the boats alone again. He said that in just about every one of his letters. Years later, Julian was arrested for armed robbery at when they the twins were 22. Kenneth's father sent him to Tennessee to try to get his brother Julian released from prison. The judge agreed to release Julian if he left Tennessee never to return. Kenneth paid the fines and he told Julian, okay, the family wants you back home, but Julian refused to return home with Kenneth. So he relinquished the rest of the money that the father had given him and he left him with the car and he himself took a train back home. Julian was later shot. He made it as far as Arizona. He was later shot eventually during a drugstore robbery and he was held up in a hotel and he died two days later. After his family buried him, they never spoke of him again. Kenneth returned to Tennessee. He was, you know, bent on avenging his brother's life and death, basically. He returned to Tennessee for law school. He established himself as a lawyer in Sioux City, Iowa, where he practiced for 50 years. All of that to say... Some people are outgoing and fun-loving while others are the complete opposite. Even if they're in the same families, um, they can find, they can have these extreme differences. For example, my daughter always says how she, I seem to be the oddball of my family and I wear that with honor. I wear it proud. Um, but the question would be, it's like, what can help us explain why two boys born on the same day to the same mother into the same middle-class family can turn out so differently. Personality theories attempt to explain personality differences that make each of us unique, even if, even if we might come from the same beginnings. Freud looked at the personality similar to what I describe as the devil in the details perspective. Instead of trying to describe individual differences or from a broad perspective, he looked at the blemishes or scars in a person's thoughts and behaviors. A lot of the individuals he worked with were individuals with abnormalities or some type of dysfunction. And that's how he came up with his psychoanalytic theory and his um, psychoanalytic psychoanalytic perspective. He felt that 
not even we can understand our own personality because we don't even understand our deepest motives. So his psychoanalytic perspective was described as what we might consider as the first comprehensive theory of psychology. And it was linked to his psychoanalysis treatment method. So this is how he came up with this treatment method. You might hear some therapists today Um, They might still use parts of his theory and typically when that happens, people are in therapy and they are in therapy for a long time. His theory was viewed, so in his theory, he viewed components of the personality as parts of our unconscious. His thought was that a lot of what went on with our personality had a lot to do with outside of our awareness and occurred in our unconscious mind. In doing so, he focused on the importance of our childhood experiences, our unconscious motivation, sexual and aggressive instincts, and what he referred to as intrapsychic conflict. If you've ever seen pictorial um so pictorial depictions of Freud's theory, it's it's shown as an iceberg so there's something that's below our surface and then there's something that's above our surface and those are the parts of our mind so we have our unconscious mind we might have a subconscious mind and then we have like this fully conscious awareness but according to Freud much of what goes into our personality is out of the range of our awareness but he did feel like all of these things influenced our personality. So they came together and we might experience this intrapsychic conflict as an emotional clash of opposing impulses within ourselves. What constitutes our personality according to Freud? According to him, the structure of our personality consisted of the id, the ego, and the superego. I'll start with the id. The id is thought to be present at birth. It's governed by what's called the pleasure principle. It's this immediate, we want immediate satisfaction of our urges, especially sexual urges, according to Freud. So it's about what you want. And according to Freud, during like your id, when you're driven by your id, you um it's the most primitive part of our personality it is entirely unconscious it's not affected by morality logic danger you're just out there right you're just you know free balling so to speak um it looks to increase pleasure reduce tension and avoid pain think of if you're familiar with willy wonka and the chocolate factory Think of Baruch Assault. If you are driven by your id, you are Baruch Assault. Don't care how, I want it now. That is you. (laughs) Our ego, on the other hand, it develops from the id, but it's governed by the reality principle. Our ego, it has the ability to postpone gratification until it's appropriate or until circumstances present themselves like in our outside world. So we're, it's more rational. It's what thought to be what we actually do. So it is like what you want to do. You might do it, you might not, it depends. 
But the ego, if you're more um, driven from an egocentric point of view, it's what you actually end up doing. According to Freud's theory, and if you look at the, think about the iceberg again, this, the ego is partly conscious and it represents organized, rational, and planning dimensions of our personality. It also acts as a mediator between what the id wants, so the impulsive id, and the outside restrictions and the outside world. So think of it as a traffic cop. The superego is thought to develop by about age five or six, and the superego it considers, it thinks about. Another way to think about Freud's theory is maybe that the angel and the devil sitting on your shoulder. You've seen those instances as well, or those pictorial depictions as well. So the superego considers what you should do. It's this internal voice that's governed by your values. So maybe your how you grew up, your environment, environment, what um, society thinks. Maybe you hear your parents' voice in your head if you're considering something to do. Should I have one more drink? Should I have a drink? Should I smoke a joint? Should I not? You're hearing, you know, these, what your parents, and you're thinking about how your parents might see you in that situation. Our superego acts as our conscious, so we feel guilty when we do our conscience, should I say. So we feel guilty when we do or think something that we shouldn't. And we often feel pride when we behave accordingly. So if we make a decision and we feel good about it, that's our um, superego that's kicking in according to Freud. When conflict develops between the id and the superego, the ego, remember the traffic cop, must be strong and flexible to mediate between these conflicts. According to Freud, anxiety often develops as a result of these conflicts. So if we have some kind of moral issue that we're debating, the moral authority of the superego and the restrictions of the external world, we have to deal with that. So if there's some conflict, the ego might become distressed and then it might go into defense mode. If you've ever heard of defense mechanisms, that is where Freud says these come from because we have this internal conflict. Our ego is trying to direct what's going on or take care of what's happening between our id and superego. Both Freud and his daughter Anna examined these mechanisms. Defense mechanisms eventually become an essential part of our personality and some are adaptive, some not so much, but one common mechanism that you are probably very familiar with is this defense mechanism of denial. That tends to be, of course, something that is not very adaptive. It's a failure to recognize or acknowledge the existence of anxiety of information that is provoking anxiety so again the defense mechanisms are part of freud's theory i won't go into 
each one, but I did want to bring up the defense mechanism of denial because it is one that tends to be maladaptive and one we are probably very familiar with. For example, despite having multiple drinks every night, a man might deny that he's he's an alcoholic because he never drinks before five. So we make these excuses up as and they become part of our personality and they're meant to protect us from things. And for some of them, it, it might be adaptive, but for the most part, they can be maladaptive. Freud's theory of personality development is called the psychosexual stages of personality development. And it's said that the foundations of our adult personality is typically established during the first five years of life. And by the time that we are six years old, six, our personality is fully formed. According to him, these stages, a child progresses through these stages. So there are um, five stages, the oral, anal, phallic, latency, and what is the final? Oh, the genital, the genital stage. So the oral anal, phallic, latency, and genital stage. And I'll briefly go over each one of those. The oral stage is the first year and a half of a child's life. This is when the infant is focused on pleasures and frustrations associated with the mouth and being fed. Fixation. A fixation. I wanted to talk about a fixation because people often think about when they think about Freud, they might think about his theory and they typically associate people getting stuck in these stages. And that's what a a fixation is. So in the oral stage, if an infant is deprived or overly fed, they can develop a personality style where they focus on issues related to fullness and emptiness and only focused on what they can take in or get from others. The second stage, it occurs between the ages of two and three. And this is the anal stage. And it's associated with bodily functions, things like retention and releasing feces, urine, and toilet training. So around the age of of two and three is typically when we begin potty training or toilet training our children. Individuals who experience fixations during this stage tend to be rigid, they have a rigid personality and remain occupied with issues of control. Think someone that may have experienced or you know they experience obsessive compulsive behaviors. Freud would say that that person might be fixated in the anal stage. Also, I failed to mention, I wanted to talk, mention in the oral stage, Freud also might explain Someone who smokes, he might say that that person has a fixation in at the oral stage of their development. They experienced a fixation, so they didn't get the nurturing or feeding that they needed from their mother. The phallic stage between the ages of three and five is dominated by the pleasure of conflict and frustration as frustration associated with the phallic genital region 
as well as coping with feelings of ancestral love, hate, jealousy, and conflict. If you are familiar with the Oedipus conflict, this is at what stage this would occur. The Oedipus conflict, of course, is a developmental experience where a boy might fantasize about killing his father because he's jealous of the father because of the relationship he has with the mother. And he begins to develop incestuous feelings about the mom. The opposite of that, of course, which you hear sometimes in connection with Freud, but not often because it was introduced by Jung, one of Freud's students. It's the female version and it's the Electra complex. And so that's where the female envies the mom or she's jealous of the mom because she has sexual incestuous feelings toward the dad. The fourth stage is the latency stage. And this occurs during late childhood. It's weird for me as a developmental psychologist to even say late childhood because you're talking about starting at the age of five. But it's between the ages of five and 13. And this is thought to be a more relaxed period. And a sign of healthy personality development would be where an individual is able to make it to the stage not having experienced any type of fixation. As a matter of fact, Freud's theory doesn't even mention fixation or and those who um, support the psychoanalytic theory of development, these psychosexual stages, don't mention fixation because Freud believed that most of the personality is formed by age six. So during this stage, if you're here, you should... Um, be and you're okay then you're okay basically and the fifth and final stage the genital stage begins late in adolescence according to Freud at this time mature adult personality should have developed by this point we should be able to fully experience love work and relate to other people in satisfying ways and be able to have the capacity to engage in give and take relationships of mutual reciprocal relationships. Freud argued that people who get stuck in a prior stage, so they experience a fixation in a prior stage, have issues with things like adult sexuality and they fail to develop a well-adjusted personality. And that is one of the reasons I wanted to, again, I'm, I'm very fascinated with Eastern philosophy and very much interested in um, chakras and how they develop and how imbalances and blockages, how that might manifest in our adult life. And that is why I wanted to introduce you to Freud's theory first and then come back and talk about chakras and imbalances in those and how the connections that we see there. Freud's psychoanalytic theory is intriguing to say the least and it does have some validity to it. For example, there is empirical evidence to speak to the idea that much of our mental life is unconscious. Um, this is likely where we get the idea that 
we only use 10% of our brains and it's because so much of what we do or so much of what happens in our brains is at an unconscious level or automatic level. Early childhood experiences do have a critical influence on our relationship with others and our psychological adjustment. So how we relate to other people in social settings, how we relate on an interpersonal level in romantic relationships and how well we are adjusted from a psychological perspective does tend to stem from our early experiences. And then finally, we often do see significant differences in how people are able to regulate their impulses, emotions, and thoughts, even from the perspective of what's viewed as adaptive from a social perspective, what's socially acceptable, I'll say. So we do see differences in how well people are able to manage those things. Okay, so that was Freud's theory of his ideas about how we develop our personality and it is his psychoanalytic, from a psychoanalytic perspective, using or describing his psychosexual stages of personality development. And those five stages again are the oral stage, anal stage, phallic stage, latency stage, and genital stage. And they occur at different ages throughout a person's developmental period or as they develop throughout life. And at some point, defense mechanisms come into play when our id, ego, and superego do not, are not able to deal with conflicts and anxiety might develop when there is a conflict between the id and the superego and the ego is trying to be strong and flexible and mediate between those conflicts and that's where our defense mechanisms come into play. So today's psychology myth or science topic, I just reiterated Freud's theory. Most psychologists today agree with Freud's personality theory and his methods and findings have been shown to be robust throughout time. Well, opinions of Freud span the spectrum. So you have people who see him as this genius who shaped the mind of the 20th century and they even go further to say that the fact that he has so many critics only speaks to the staying power of his ideas. On the other hand, you have people who believe that Freud was neurotic, self-obsessed, and he held these twisted personal views of human nature. The truth, of course, lies somewhere in between. As I mentioned, we do have some valid findings in psychology from his work. So the findings on our mental life and the unconscious nature of it, our early childhood experiences affecting later um, experiences in our life, and then the significant differences we see in how well people are able to regulate things like their emotions and their impulses and their thoughts. So Freud has had a significant impact on psychology and society, but there are valid concerns related to his theories, especially his um, psychoanalytic theory. And those concerns are that there is a lack of evidence 
So empirical evidence, there is some empirical evidence for his stuff, but not a lot. The lack of testability. So how do you test for the existence of things like the id, ego, and superego? Like what valid tests would you use to test that? And then, of course, there's the whole sexist um, nature of this, his theory of personality development. Some people argue that it focused too much on sexual desires and motivations. Also, that it's, there's just no empirical evidence for it, even like from the, these theories like the Oedipus um, complex and then the, um, oh God, the penis envy theories on things like that so those are just some things to keep in mind some people in classrooms nowadays do not even bring up freud but he is a prominent figure in the world of psychology i think he is fun fact he is the first psychologist to be immortalized in the form of a bobblehead doll so go out and see look up google and see if you can find your a freud bobblehead doll <laughs> Consider this, unexpressed emotions will never die. They are buried alive and will come forth later in uglier ways. Sigmund Freud. So think about this the next time you decide to sit on your emotions or like repress and push down those emotions. Talk about your feelings, not to say that you have to engage in like this cathartic type thing because that there tends to be some argument about that too, like whether that, whether that really helps, but express those emotions. Don't sit on them because they will eventually come out. That concludes this episode of Psychologically Speaking. Be sure to visit my blog at drbemindful.com for some useful self-help tips and highlights of the podcast episodes. Also, if you want to take the Big Five Personality Test, it is there on the homepage of my blog. And I will also post the story from my textbook about the secret twin. That'll be up soon. Invite a friend to listen. I welcome your suggestions and feedback at dawnb at drbemindful.com or you can post them using the contact me link on the blog. As always, thanks for hanging out with me today.